0: You've got this cloud thing, and it's starting to look like the Wild West. Accounts and subscriptions are being created willy-nilly. Your devs have created a networking nightmare. Nothing is named or tagged consistently, and you're pretty sure that VM with 16 vCPUs and half a terabyte of RAM is a bit over the top for a development environment. Time to impose a little law and order in this one-horse town. There's a new sheriff, and its name is Cloud Governance. Welcome to Day2Cloud, part of the Packet Butchers family of podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at day 2 cloud Show. On Day2Cloud, we have a frank discussion of what happens when cloud stops being polite and starts getting real. I am your co-host, Ned Bellamance, Ned1313 on Twitter. Joining me is Ethan Banks at EC Banks. Ethan, it's great to hear slash see you, and I am loving the Cat5e bolo tie.
1: You should, man. That is original artwork, practically, right there that I'm wearing. And uh, yeah, glad. thanks for noticing.
0: It's a hot look. Did you did you punch that down yourself?
1: Of course I did. Come on, who do you okay, think
0: I am? <laughs> I, I just, you know, uh, you're a true artiste, and I didn't mean to question your, your validity in that area. Joining us today is Steve Buchanan. He is a Microsoft MVP, a very recent Plural site author, and also a cloud architect for Avanade. Welcome to the show, Steve.
2: Thanks, Ned. Thanks, Ethan. Glad to be here.
0: Awesome! So, congratulations. I know you just published your first course on Pluralsight, so that's pretty exciting.
2: Awesome! Yeah, thank you. It's at uh, a shameless plug here. It's uh, Microsoft Azure DevOps Engineer. It's part of that learning path, and it's optimize feedback mechanisms. I know it's a really long title, but it's a really good course. Oh,
0: it sounds like a barn burner. I'm sure it's. I, I, I'm I'm sure it's really cool. Sometimes their titles can get a little out of control. Um, Speaking of things that can get a little bit out of control, um, our topic today is cloud governance and what happens when cloud doesn't have proper governance. But maybe we should, eh, you know, like nail down some terms here. Brass Tacks, what is cloud governance and how is that different from other terms that get thrown around like strategy, compliance and accountability?
2: Yeah. So strategy is what you want to put together kind of before you dive into the cloud, right? And your cloud governance should roll up into that strategy. And cloud governance itself really gets into like operating. So the operating model for your cloud, and there's many things that go into that, right? So how are you going to name things? How many subscriptions are you going to have? Who's going to have access to those different subscriptions are you gonna allow or disallow certain types of resources? Like there's a lot that goes into governance, right?
0: Interesting. So you said operations. So expanding on that a little bit, when I think of operations, I think of stuff like monitoring, backup, maybe security a little bit. Like does it get in does cloud governance cover those areas as well?
2: It should. And often, you know, some of the things you mentioned are, you know, they're kind of they go to the back burner, right? Like backup. Yeah. You should think about backup and what you need to back up. How are you going to back it up? What are your, you know, your, your RPOs and RTOs? Like how long can you afford for something to be down or how much data can you afford to lose in the event that you have a recovery, right? DR also really should be a part of your, your governance as well. And that kind of can spin off into its own thing because it requires A lot of uh, planning and preparation and, you know, reoccurring testing to make sure it actually works. And so those are things as well as security. You know, I'm a Microsoft guy. That's no secret there. And so I focus on Azure. Um, There's some really good security tools that are native to the Azure platform, like Security Center and Sentinel. And you can use those things as a part of your governance strategy. And you should look at those a part of your strategy, right? Like Security Center can help you with compliance, and it can just really help you understand the posture of your security for your cloud environment.
0: Okay. Now, one of the things that I think about uh, in terms of governance is it has all these different like components. Do you develop an overarching sort of strategy or approach for cloud governance before you sort of dive into the the fiddly bits? and And what does that look like?
2: Yeah, so so with Azure specifically, Microsoft has uh, they've they've put together kind of two I don't know if you call them models or frameworks, but the first one is the virtual data center, so the VDC, and that gets into like real heavy into like infrastructure. Um, should you have a hub and spoke model for your for your network infrastructure? Uh, what what does it look like compared to you know what does your cloud environment look like compared to Maybe your on-premises data center that you had in the past or you're moving away from. You want to kind of start with the VDC and use that to help flush out your strategy. And you can also use that as a part of helping you plan your governance too. And then the second item is uh, CAF, so the Cloud Adoption Framework. That's a really good as well that can help you in planning your adoption of the cloud like all up. The cloud adoption framework, it really covers like the strategy, the planning, if you're migrating, maybe you're doing greenfield. And then it has a, a subcomponent, which is uh, the governance itself. Okay. The-
1: Steve, this, this is a, I'm listening to this in my head, and I'm going, and, and the department's going, yay. So there's, there's, I'm, I'm of two minds, and that's because some of the environments that I've been in that have had these very strict rules regarding infrastructure deployment, how things are named, and what the backup strategy is going to be, and so on and so on, have been adhered to for better or for worse, depending on just how well anyone actually cared about all those documents that were written. <laughs> there's been some shops that are like, okay, no, you are by the book, or we're rejected this change that you're requesting or or whatever. Uh, And there maybe would even be audits to make sure that everything was compliant with whatever that governance standard was. Um, On the other hand, there's been shops that have went, it's like, oh, naming convention. Yeah, we had one, but then we kind of did this deployment (laughs) and it kind of went off the rails and now it's just kind of a free for all. So uh, how do you translate this governance thing you're talking about? I mean, it sounds good in theory, but actual implementation, eh, how does it become real?
2: Yeah, so governance is actually a pretty hard thing to to get right. Like you said, it's it's only as good as its use, right? So are your admins or your folks that are that are operating in the cloud, are they using it? Are they sticking to whatever policies and, and procedures that you have in place? Right. So a huge part of it. If we go back to ITIL, and and hopefully that uh, that doesn't scare anyone off, right? Or, <laughs> you did. Or, I mean, you make scared you a think lot that of people. Yes, but okay. <laughs> or make you think we're dinosaurs here, but really, it does it does tie back to ITIL, right? So it's 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 not just about the technology, but it's about the people and your culture too. If if you know like certain governance policies or procedures just aren't going to fit your culture, right, or your people aren't going to adhere to them. You, you got to go fix those issues before you can expect things to magically be wonderful, you know, in cloud. If they were messed up in your data center and you're just going to take those same policies and procedures and not change the culture as you're moving to cloud, you're going to fail. So you're saying mm. shaming is what you're saying. When
1: someone does something <laughs> against the governance policy, you publicly shame them and then they'll conform. Is that what
2: you're getting at? Th- that might be one method, but thank <laughs> goodness, I don't work for a company that has that in their culture. <laughs> but yeah, may- maybe that's one method that might work for some companies out there. No, but it's really, you know getting your people on board, involving them, right, involving different teams. So something that I see that is very common when companies first started to adopt cloud is they would leave out the security teams' bad idea. Bring them in up front, right? Find out what the needs are, what the security controls your organization needs to have in place. Bring those folks in early on. Bring them Mm -hmm. in as a part of your governance plan, as a part of your cloud strategy, and make sure you uh, you you bake that right in. Bring in other teams as well and get them to buy into your governance policies and procedures and the strategy all up. That'll help with the people part of it. And that should help with the culture part of it too hopefully. And then the last piece is really the technology, right? So like on Azure there are things we can put in place to enforce or just audit to make sure that you know people are following procedures, they're naming things the right way, they're not deploying like super huge VMs that eat up all your budget, you know, stuff like that. And I'm referring to like Azure policy. That's that's one native technology that you could use, also blueprints right, which is a a newer service to Azure. You can use that to make sure when environments are spun up, they're done in the same way every single time. So let's take, for example, if you determine that hub and spoke is the topology that you want to use for your environment, which is typically what we go for, you'll have a hub. And then when a new group needs a new application or solution deployed in cloud, they'll be deploying a spoke. Well, what you can do with blueprints is you can take all of the artifacts that would make up, let's say, this new spoke or you know any spoke you deploy in your cloud environment, bring all those artifacts into it, right? That could be your RBAC controls, your Azure policy. You know, if you require three core networks and subnets or whatever, you could bake that all into the blueprint. And so when someone spins up a new spoke. You lay down that blueprint. You just hit on something really important there, but I
1: want to back out just, just a second because, okay, so back in the day, there was a technique that we would use to to basically do that. And that was the going back to the culture and the people aspect. That is, someone in a position of authority to approve or disapprove some sort of a change would know and understand what the policies were that would govern a particular change. And if that change did not conform, they would reject it. And the culturally, that was baked in. And there was an expectation that, hey, if I submit a change that is not in inconformant, I didn't name the device correctly. Uh, I didn't submit this particular sort of an infrastructure change in the way that we've templated, uh, templated and standardized on. And then rejection was not a condemnation of that person as a human, but just saying, Hey, you know, you got to make this, you know, fit the standard. Then over time we would see error rates go down for people that were submitting changes because it was baked into our culture to reject things that were not standard, not be, Oh, well, you know, we don't want to hurt their feelings. So we're going to let it through. No. And then it was, then it was okay. And it wasn't a blame thing. It was just, this is the way we do it. Now you're, you're talking Steve about that, but automated
2: in a technical way with some of these new tools. Yeah, exactly. So we're, we're talking about that, which sounds like change management, right? So mm-hmm. we're stepping back in, into ITIL land a little bit. Change management as well as like request process, right? You should have those things baked out. Uh, so yeah, we're talking about that specifically, but we're taking that to the next level. So we're, we're taking it and saying, okay, you need to spin up a new solution or new, uh, you know, you want to run this application in cloud. You're going to do it in a spoke. That's the model, hub and spoke. And we're going to, you know, we're going to look at all the requirements for this application or solution, and we're going to plug that into our blueprint, right? right. Or we're going to stamp out this blueprint. And so to to put that more in context, Microsoft has built out a number of sample blueprints that you can go and grab and just use. Um, So if you need to meet like, uh, you know, ISO standards or FedRAMP or CIS or different things out there like that, right, for compliance reasons, they actually have blueprints that will, you can deploy these and it'll lay down, you know, the things you should have in your environment to meet that compliance. Well, you could build your own, right, for your organization. So every time someone needs something new, go through that change process but you know during that change process that also you will be laying down the blueprint you'll ensure like you know if you're based in uh in the midwest like i am chances are you're going to want your stuff deployed to central u.s not like somewhere in paris or uh switzerland right you can have that baked right into the blueprint you can enforce stuff like that and it's not a hey we're shaming you it's more of a hey, we're going to make sure this thing is taken care of, you don't even have to think about it anymore, right? Before you had to like select the region, you had to select certain things. Now you just use the blueprint and there's a number of things that are abstracted away from you. You don't even have to think about them anymore. You can focus on the solution or the application that you're deploying there.
0: It it reminds me a little bit of the idea of like a service catalog. Here's a catalog of services you're allowed to consume But one of the big problems with that was always the service catalog could get out of date. The thing that you really need is not in that catalog. And uh, the process for getting things updated and added to that catalog was slow and difficult. I think that's a general complaint about ITIL in general is that it slowed everything down. It added a whole bunch of process where it wasn't necessary. And ultimately, it would break the spirit of people who tried to adopt it. So, how can you get around that issue when it comes to cloud governance where you keep the piece of the accelerated piece of change and don't bog things down with tons of process and, and procedure?
2: So, that goes back to uh, cultural, right? That, that touches on that cultural standpoint. And, yeah, spot on. Uh, having a service catalog, having maybe something like ServiceNow sit in front of Your Azure, so request happens there and then things are deployed in an automated way using, you know, like blueprints, the way to go. But Mm -hmm. it does go back to cultural because you need to make sure that, you know, from a cultural standpoint, as a part of your governance, your operating model, you have a regular cadence and maybe designated people or even a team that it's their responsibility to make sure that catalog and the blueprints are updated on a regular basis. And then also, part of the reason of moving to cloud is so your business can move faster and stay competitive in the market against your competitors, right? You never know when, you know, if you're in an enterprise, you might have a startup that's coming up in your industry, they're moving a lot faster, they don't have as much process, Mm -hmm. right? And they're leveraging cloud, they're leveraging infrastructure as code, things like blueprints, they have the same Technologies at their fingertips that you do. But if your process is slow and outdated and very heavy and actually stops your teams from doing what they need to do, your competitor might be able to win if they've tweaked their process better and they're able to move faster. So you want to have the process, but you don't want it to be so heavy or so hard to use that no one uses it or follows it. Right. (laughs) that happens time and time again. And it's just terrible when you see that, but it's, I don't know, human nature. I mean, Steve,
1: you, you really feel that that's, I mean, this is a little bit to to the side, but I think it's important to drill in. I mean, I've heard this pitch so many times, Oh, cloud makes you move faster. And if you can really leverage it in a, you know, a strong way with, you know, calling APIs and standing up infrastructure more quickly, you get a competitive edge. Is that really that big of a thing that you got to focus on your operational processes so much to to maximize efficiency or risk being late to market with a product
2: no what you want to focus on is is bringing value to the business so really what you want to focus on is the the applications or solutions that you're deploying to the cloud you should have a team or folks that are dedicated to like automating the operational processes as much as possible That way, they just sort of become a part of the fabric, right? You want those things to just happen as a part of the moving machine. I
1: love the way you put that, Steve. People being dedicated to automating the process, because I think we're finally getting over it as an industry. But for two, three years there, there was this concern that, oh, my gosh, the more automation I do, the more I'm going to be out of a job. And I think you just (laughs) summed it up perfectly.
2: You're dedicating people to automating the processes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, someone needs to to maintain the automation. You're not going to magically put automation in place, and then it's just going to automate itself from there. Maybe in the future when, I, when AI gets better and becomes more prevalent, maybe. But as of right now, no. And even in the future with AI, there's going to need to be people, right, to continue to improve the AI. But yeah, that's why it goes back to a cultural thing and a people thing. With the cultural standpoint, you need to have buy in from leadership. If leadership doesn't fully 100% buy into the idea of like, let's automate our operations as much as possible. So, you know, we can turn out solutions, you know, for the business or for end customers. Let's not get in the way let's let's enable so we can deliver business value faster. if you don't have leadership buying into that you know and and your and your people that are building these things they do, your chances of success go down from there, right? You need to have that leadership buy-in and you need to have real money like budget behind you know spin up a team or get some dedicated people to making sure that you're automating your environment. You can build out a library of blueprints, right. And they can work great for, you know, three months, six months or whatever. And then things change. If no one's updating those blueprints or even paying attention to it, you know, eight months in, you might have things that are failing or they just don't meet the needs. And so people stop using those. They stop using that service catalog, right? They stop Mm -hmm. putting in those requests or all of a sudden you'll find out that, you know, people are circumventing the change management process again, because they need to go fast.
0: There's an interesting study, uh, the the State of DevOps report that comes out every year. And one of the things that they've found for high-performing companies is any sort of change management board, it tends to slow down the rate, obviously, of change, but also increase the level of fragility of the system. <laughs> <laughs> It's totally non-intuitive, but uh, I, I do recommend you know reading the report and seeing that that that's just what they found. It's like change management boards actually make things, generally speaking, worse, which is the opposite <laughs> of what they were supposed to do. Just to, to transition a little bit, we've been talking kind of generalities, but Steve, I know you, you do a fair amount of work in Azure, and you've already mentioned some of the tools out there, but could you just kind of give us a a summary of the different tools that exist for cloud governance and kind of how they might interact with each
2: other? Uh, Definitely. So um, the first thing we're talking about here is Azure Blueprints, right? So I think I kind of explained that. Azure Policy is kind of the next thing. Um, What Azure Policy is, is it allows you to basically audit or enforce things um, around your resources in Azure. So think about things like, Hey, I want want to only allow you to deploy in certain regions, or I want to allow you to deploy only a certain set of virtual machines and not the super expensive ones, right? Like in the M series, or I want to make sure that tags and tags are another thing that we use in governance, but I want to make sure that, you know, all resources that, that are deployed have, you know, X amount of tags. So you can track like cost center or who who it belongs to, the application, right? You can come up with a whole tagging uh, strategy. And and let's talk about tags. Um, So tags are basically metadata about your resources. So you can go all sorts of directions with that. A lot of companies will use that for like cost center data. Mm -hmm. Um, but other, other companies will use it for like identifying, Hey, does this belong to a dev environment or production? You know, simple things like that. And with, with Azure policy and tags start out simple and, uh, having 15 tags is, you know, just because you can, doesn't mean you should, (laughs) Uh, in fact. In, in, in that example, like less is more because think about it. If you go to deploy something and you got to enter in 15 pieces of data, that sucks. Are you mm-hmm. going to do it or are you going to try to find a way around it when your boss is like on your back? Like, hey, we need this thing done. Right. So you got to think about those things. And as you're putting your governance together and using these technologies, how can we make it easy? So there's there's
1: two two qualification questions I have for you, Steve, around tags then. So I'll give you a couple of, uh, since I don't live in the Azure world, to give you a couple of tagging examples that are outside of that. You know, one is Trello. In a Trello card, you can put in a bunch of custom tags at the top. We've got like a dozen for a Trello card that we might use to build out a podcast. Do we fill out a dozen? Oh gosh, no. Because there's just no way. It's just not going to happen. Like you were saying, there's just too many. Who's going to do that? It's like homework to have to fill out all of those tagging fields. But then the flip side is you don't have a tagging structure. You've got this generic like, oh, let's say like a WordPress article. You can fill out tags for that WordPress article and tag it with whatever you want. And it's the wild, wild west. And you can just throw in all kinds of tags. So... I mean, do we need some kind of a system? I'm guessing. Can I build like an Azure tag taxonomy and then use Azure policy to enforce that the tags I'm using are uh,
2: uh, compliant with a particular taxonomy? Yeah, you can. Exactly. So, um, you, 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 you want to build out your tagging taxonomy like on paper, and then you can use Azure policy to make sure like the tags are there, like the, not the values of the tags, but the tags themselves, like the names for the tags. And then you still need people to fill out the values of the tags. Hmm. Um, But yeah, you can use Azure Policy to do that. And Azure Policy, you can use it to audit to see if those tags are there or not. Um, And simply just like create an alert, right? So you can go into Azure Policy and see like, oh, these items, these 10 items are out of compliance. Or you can use Azure Policy to actually create the tags on those resources, if they don't exist. Um, And I have a blog that walks through like, how to do that, that second example. Um, I'll share that with you guys. So you maybe you can, uh, you can share it on the podcast. Um, But yeah, that's two ways to do it. And, you know, no one, I mean, filling out tags before you create the resources or do whatever you need to do, let's be honest, that's not fun, right? It's kind of like, Oh, I have to do this work to do the work. It's just kind of crazy, but we need those tags um, to help us organize and identify things. And also, you can use tags to to like automate against things in the environment. So let's mm-hmm. say if you need to automate um, all, you know, you need to run some sort of automation against, uh, you know, every resource that's tied to a specific application. Well, if you have a tag for that application. You can run that script against that tag and know that you're covering all of those resources, right? That belong to that application. So tags, there's a lot of value in tags, and not just for like organizing your resources, but as a as a tech person too.
0: Yeah, I've seen tags used for uh, backup patterns. So you might have three different backup tiers and I've seen it where there's a tag on each virtual machine, let's say, and it, it is just says backup and then what tier of backup it is. And then they use some sort of automation process to select those machines. And if you spin up a new one, it already knows what backup policy to apply to that virtual machine. That's another like random example of how tags could work for you.
2: That's a great example, Ned. And like Here's another example. So shout out to uh, Sam Ernskine. He's another Microsoft MVP out of the UK. He always uses the example of using tags for your update management, right? Hmm. So you tag your servers with, you know, based on environment, and then you can run run your uh, your updates based on those tags. So that's just another example of of where you can use tags for the, you know, IT pro.
0: Right, so that that would be a situation where you might have some machines that can be updated at any time because they're say like development, but your production have a very specific maintenance window where they could be uh, updated and, and rebooted. Is that kind of the idea?
2: Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yep.
0: Interesting. But imagine there's there's more to Azure Policy than just tagging. Um, is it fairly extensible? Like, what's the language that you
2: write? policies in is it like some special language you have to learn like c sharp uh no so so azure policy you can actually build out the azure policies in the azure portal right through mm. the ui um you can also build out your azure policies in arm templates um and then you can you still have to build your arm t- your azure policies and arm templates but you can use like a powershell to like create the policy definitions And then assign them. So with Azure policy, you have to create what's called a uh, definition that Mm -hmm. defines the policy. And then once you have that, you have to assign it to something. Right. So then you would assign it to, you know, like a resource group or subscription or resources. And then it would enforce from there whatever the policy is that you have in place. Now, if you have like a bunch of like things you need to assign an Azure policy to like many resource groups or, you know um, you need to like have a repeatable um, like Azure policy, you can use what's called initiatives. So that allows you to basically group multiple Azure policies together and then assign it like to multiple things.
0: I see. So maybe like, I have uh, a a, a, pol- a bunch of policies that are all related to I don't know I, you gave the example before of compliance type stuff like all the ISO policies you might group them all together as an initiative and then apply them so that would that be like an example of how you might want to use an initiative yep yep exactly exactly okay. I think I, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down um <laughs> <laughs>
1: Let me ask a question about application again. So I write this policy and I apply it. Do I just, I throw it at my existing infrastructure and make sure everything's in compliance. And if something's not, I, I go have a, make a cubicle visit and, you know, bring my truncheon with me or, or do I do this like in process, like before it's deployed, like, like CI/CD pipeline, I've got this bit of infrastructure. It's along moving along on the pipeline. And one of the checks and balances is as your
2: policy, is this artifact compliant? Can I do that? Yeah, actually you could do both. And so so we see both scenarios, right? You know, you might do Azure Greenfield and that's awesome when you can do that. If you're at that point, like figure out your Azure policies that you want to have in place and put them in place. But many times there's already infrastructure, there's already resources and stuff running in Azure. Uh, we can create Azure policies after the fact and it can look at existing resources and kind of do that audit. And then we, we have to walk to someone's cube, right, and talk to them and <laughs> have that discussion. It's oh. not so fun, part of government. You
1: know, or the policy
2: came late and there's
1: a lot of infrastructure that already happens to have been deployed before there really was a guideline. And now all yes. of a sudden it's like, all right, we got to retroactively make everything compliant if that's even possible.
2: Mm. Yep, that's another, uh, that's actually another scenario. So definitely. Okay.
0: Another thing that occurs to me is if you're trying to keep things correctly configured on an ongoing basis, policy continuously checks, right? It's not like you fire off uh, a job to go check policy on these resources. It does that once and then doesn't check again.
2: That is correct. And so as your policy runs on an interval, I don't remember what the interval is off the top of my head. It's in the Microsoft documentation. But so when you're deploying policies and testing, you got to wait for that. But there is uh there's actually a PowerShell script that you can run if you need to like fire off an Azure policy like have it check like on the fly, and I have mm-hmm. that in my blog post as well, so okay. it's super useful when you're like building out these Azure policies and you don't want to wait, you like make a change and then it's like okay, let me run this and see what happens mm-hmm. super, super helpful there,
0: okay now, I think you mentioned that Azure policy is also can be used within Azure blueprints. What's the, what's the relationship there? And I guess like what else can you put into
2: Azure blueprints? Okay. So with Azure blueprints, let's say for example, we're building out our base foundation of Mm a, of a spoke, right? And in every spoke, maybe we require, you know, one VNet and a couple of subnets. And then also with that, maybe there's a, cloud operations group within our organization and they get like contributor access to every spoke right so we can take and put that RBAC right into that blueprint we also can put in ARM templates or in ARM template for that vnet and those subnets right in our blueprint and then we could take Azure policy let's say we want to make sure that uh You know, let's just use tagging, for example. We want to make sure that every resource that's deployed in this spoke is going to get tags, right? And maybe we want to, we know what the application is that we're putting in this spoke. Maybe we want to put the name of that application in a tag and make sure that everything that's deployed in that spoke gets that. So we can take that Azure policy and we can put put that in that blueprint as well. And then when we have that blueprint, we can actually uh, use that to deploy that spoke. So all of those foundational things that maybe we want, uh, we put them in that blueprint. So when we deploy uh, that spoke, we have our VNet, we have our subnets, we have our back. So our folks that are part of that cloud operations team, they can access the resources in that spoke. It's done from day one. Those policies to make sure that those tags are there, it's done. So the, the blueprint is the you know the
1: larger artifact you know kind of as we would think of a, a blueprint it's, it governs you know, a whole bunch of different things within our the Azure environment and that blueprint can call upon a policy to help define certain a- attributes about the different objects that are inside of that blueprint. Does that
2: sound about right? Kind of. We actually take the Azure policy and we put it in as a part of the blueprint.
0: Okay. And if you alter that policy, does that also get reflected within the blueprint?
2: You need to go and update the blueprints and you have versioning available on the blueprints. So you could do like V1, V2, and then you would need to like make sure you assign those out. Blueprints, as far as I know, are not integrated yet with Azure DevOps. Hopefully that's coming. You can do blueprints as code. And so... You can build out your blueprints completely in uh, ARM templates and PowerShell, mm-hmm. um, and you could store that stuff in Azure DevOps, like in a repo, and then deploy from there. We're still waiting on some functionality there.
0: So if you wanted to make that part of your CI CD pipeline, you would just have to put like a PowerShell task in there that, exactly. that would kick off the blueprint. There's no blueprint task you could add exactly. to the pipeline. Okay. <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. Thank you.
0: <laughs> I want that to exist, by the way.
2: <laughs> yes, yes, that would, be, uh, that would be great. And if we could do things like pull in Terraform scripts into Blueprints, that would be awesome Ooh.
0: too. That blew my mind a little bit there.
2: <laughs> Going back to the whole governance thing in Azure, so there's a bunch of tools. I want to make sure that the listeners know this. There are a bunch of tools that are native to Azure that can help you with your governance. And most of them are free. There are some, you know, if if you're storing things as a part of these governance native tools, uh, if it's using storage, of course you're gonna pay for that storage. If you're you know using uh I think it's egress, you're gonna pay for that, right? So Mm -hmm. just to kind of rattle them off, right? Management groups. So if you have a ton of subscriptions in your environment and you need a way to kind of push down our back and policies across, you know, many subscriptions without having to go to each subscription. You can use management groups. It's a way to to organize your subscriptions better. There's resource graphs so that gives you like quick information about all the resources that are in your Azure environment. There's the cost management so can help you with like putting budgets in place and reporting and things like that. Then there's Security Center. We mentioned that. There's Sentinel. I haven't done a ton with Sentinel at this point. Um, And then there's monitoring capabilities in Azure. So Azure Monitor. And within Azure Monitor, you have log analytics. And so with log analytics, that's a place for you to to put your logging, both from VMs and you can collect logs from like resources on Azure. So if we get into the PaaS world, right, there's a lot of things we can collect diagnostic logs and, and other logs from and then visualize that. Um, And then there's Application Insights. So if you're using PaaS like Azure App Service or other things, you can use that to help monitor uh, there as well. And then like Ned, you mentioned backup should be a part of your your governance. And I like to call that Protect. So it's like Azure Backup and you would use like Azure Site Recovery. Both of those um, are actually not free. They come with a cost, but they're native to the platform. Um, Azure site recovery is used for DR, um, so you have that, and then Microsoft is is building native tooling into the platform all the time, like new native tooling um, that you know they want the management experience to be rock solid on Azure. They want to help you with that, and a lot of the tools are are free.
1: It just kind of overwhelmed us all with the number of different things that you can possibly that was the do. Goal. So when's the, oh, when's the right time to implement these things? I mean, do you do you like okay, greenfield? We got a new project. Then we're gonna involve some of these these Azure monitoring and so on opportunities or. I mean, applying it to an existing deployment sounds really hard, potentially
2: very disruptive. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah. So in my day-to-day job, I, I do a lot of cloud foundations, right? And and we go meet with companies and help them with this. And they're at different stages. So if it's Greenfield, the advice is at least look at the tools, the native tools, and evaluate many companies will already have tools to handle some of these things. Like a lot of companies might have like Commvault and they want to stick with that. Great. Just make sure you have something that can be used. Uh, You might already have a DR tool or you might have monitoring uh, solutions in place. Chances are you probably do. Now a lot of companies will look at the native tooling and decide like, oh, it meets our checklist of requirements and it's a lower cost or, and it's free. Let's adopt that and move away from our existing tooling. Since we're moving the cloud, this is a chance for us to do that. You know, the native tooling's there. It's more of a la carte. You don't have to use the native tooling, but highly recommend you at least look at it, Mm. right? As you're doing your strategy and your planning. Um, if If you have... It's, it's easier. I will say this. It's easier to, to adopt um, when it's greenfield. It's easier to kind of bring in these technologies. If you have existing stuff out there, you can bring them in, too. Um, but you just need to handle with more care.
1: Yeah, I, I appreciate that you said cloud native, that feels like the right way, but then increasingly my brain's also going, and it also means some sort of lock-in that I'm kind of tying myself to a particular process, where <laughs> cloud native really means cloud native proprietary special way that we do it, because we do have to do things <laughs> our way. So I think that's... It's like the right way, but it's also like a two-edged sword somehow. I don't know. Cloud cloud frustrates me in that sense, I guess.
2: I don't think there's an answer here, Steve. I'm just throwing that out there. You bring up a great point. And actually, Microsoft just announced something at Ignite and it's uh it's Azure Arc. So what Arc does is it extends basically ARM to other clouds. Right. So let's let's look at virtual machines as the first kind of use case. So let's say we were adopting Azure. We're deploying some new VMs up in Azure. Maybe we're migrating some up there, but we're going to leave a lot of servers on-premises. We just are. For whatever reason, we're leaving those on-premises. We still want to have the power of Azure over these machines. Like We love what cloud can do, right? And we'd love to extend that to these machines that are still on-premises. Well, you can actually onboard them into Azure Arc and now you can start to use Azure Policy and you can use something called Azure Policy in Guest. Hopefully I got the terminology right there. So now you can use Azure Policy and you can actually start to use it on your on-premises servers, right? Tagging, tagging is another example. So I gave the example that, that Sam Ernstein uses right around the update management. You might have some servers in cloud, native in cloud, you might have some servers still on premises and you want to leverage like update management and Azure for both. Um, and you want to leverage, you want to be able to leverage like the power of tags, right? So now you can with Azure Arc. Um, right. so we're
1: going to, we're, we're going to coin a new marketing term here, folks,
2: hybrid cloud
1: native. I think that's, that's a new one as far <laughs> as I know. Yes.
2: <laughs> oh, it might be. But it it also extends to like uh, multi cloud too. So if you're, if you want to run some servers over in AWS or GCP, go ahead and do that. But you still want to use like Azure as your management plane. You can do Mm -hmm. that with like Azure Arc and it extends to uh, Kubernetes as well as uh, like data stuff. I'm not going to talk about data at all, but it extends (laughs) to data stuff.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I was listening to a podcast that Mike Pfeiffer did with Michael Green uh, talking about Azure Arc and uh, you know he was calling out all these different use cases and he said the words AWS and Google Cloud and I was like, <laughs> wow, you said those words out loud and, and everybody's okay with that, you still have your job like, that's okay that's something new, you know, before we wrap things up, a few key takeaways or sort of action items that the listeners can take after this episode
2: Yeah, so I think that the top two things for me are like when you're adopting cloud, don't shy away from, you know, the strategy and the governance. Don't shy away from it. Run to it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, bring it in as early as you can and involve people in your organization. Don't, don't leave folks out. And then the second thing is look at the cloud native tooling, right? There's some great technologies out there native to the platform many of them are free take a look at them when you're doing both of those uh two things right your strategy and your governance as well as looking at the native tooling leverage the cloud adoption framework and leverage that virtual data center both of those are very detailed like guides slash frameworks that that will help you in your planning and answer some of the questions like should i do this or should i do that it it really helps. All right. Great. Uh, if folks
0: want to know more about you, I know you mentioned your blog a few times. Where can they find you?
2: Where can they get more of Steve Buchanan? So my blog is uh, com, and then my Twitter handle is at Bucatech. So and that's, and where you that's can find me.
0: B-U-C-H-A-T-E-C-H? You got it. Okay. Hey, look <laughs> at that. I'm a pro. All right. Well, awesome conversation. Thank you so much, Steve, for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud.
2: Awesome. Thanks, guys.
0: Thanks to our guests for appearing on Day 2 Cloud and virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at ECBanks or at Ned1313 or fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. If you'd like to support the Packet Pushers podcast network directly, become a member at ignition.packetpushers.net. For $99 a year, Ignition gives you access to our growing library of white papers, courses, videos, long-form articles, and analysis we don't publish anywhere else. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.